0: here, and so I'd like you to take your Bibles tonight, and uh, we, I know we're studying the book of Ecclesiastes normally on Sunday, but I want to take a little detour tonight, and I'd like you to find Genesis chapter number 12 if you could, the book of Genesis chapter number 12, find that place in your Bible if you will, and uh, we want to uh, discuss something tonight, and we're paying, if you're paying attention to the world, there's a lot going on in the world right now. on uh, on every corner the whole world's on fire (laughs) including the united states you know you every city is a disaster Um, we see threats all around the world we have war in the middle east we have war in europe Uh, we have threats from asia uh, threatening china is threatening taiwan and possibly and probably maybe will invade that country and if they're ever going to do it, this would be the time to do it while the world is distracted with so many other things going on. So pray about that. We hate to see that happen to the people of Taiwan. Uh, and so uh, there's a lot going on. And, uh, but the Middle East is always the key. And uh, what the Bible has to say about that. Now, last Sunday morning when we were here, uh, we preached uh, on the topic of uh, Israel. And there's a lot to discuss with Israel. Uh, with the with this situation in the Bible. And so uh, I want us to look tonight at an important topic. I think it'll be an encouragement to you and, and help us to understand what the Bible has to say on the topic, is God done with Israel? Is God done with Israel? And let's look to the Scriptures and see what the Bible has to say on this topic. And we are in a very familiar portion of Scripture. If you know your Bible, you know Genesis chapter number 12 has to deal with what we call the Abrahamic Covenant. A covenant that God made with Abram. Um, I I love this chapter because this chapter reminds me of my youth back in high school when I surrendered my life to the Lord. And I was witnessing to my classmates and trying to tell them about Jesus. Now, I didn't know much about the Bible back then, but I knew... I was in Sunday school, and Monday morning I was witnessing to my classmates. And my friend Steve, Steve Podolsky, stood up. He said, "Oh, Matt, you think you know everything about the Bible, don't you? You're so smart." I said, "No, nah, I just you know just know a little bit." And, and no, you think you're so smart, you know everything. And he took a Bible off the shelf and said, "Okay, what's what's Genesis chapter number twelve all about?" And this being Monday morning, I said, "Well, Genesis twelve deals with God calling Abraham." out of Ur the Chaldeans, and the, and the promise he's going to make with him. He looked at his Bible, closed it, and put it back on the shelf. Now, many of you have heard this story before, but the reason I knew that is because I was in Sunday school the day before, and my pastor was teaching on Genesis chapter number 12. Now, if he picked any other chapter in the Bible that day, I would have sat there and, and uh, said, uh, what does Exodus chapter number 2 talk about? Uh, Jesus, and (laughs) and, uh, I would have had no clue, but God directed my steps, God directed him, and God defended me that day, and God said, man, I gave you that one, now it's on your own to learn your Bible. So anytime I see Genesis chapter number 12, I go back to January 1982. That's let you know how old I am, and a long time ago, in a land far away, in a country that doesn't exist anymore. All right. It says in verse number one: "Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will shew thee, and I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make it thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed." Father, bless the time, bless the hour. Now we're thankful we can be here. May Christ be honored and glorified in all things. May we have clear understanding to understand the scriptures. May we cast off our ideas, our opinions, our biases, and see what you, the blessed Holy Spirit of God, has to say tonight. Bless now our time. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Genesis chapter number 12 and verses number 1 and 2, God makes a covenant with Abram, who is the patriarch of the nation of Israel. Israel will get its name from Abraham's uh, grandson Jacob, whom God changes his name from Jacob to Israel because of he has he wrestled with God that night. And so his name is changed from Jacob, which means deceiver to Israel. Uh, and so but before examining some of the details, it's, it's important to understand the whole of the book of Genesis. And there are two main divisions in the book of Genesis. Uh, the first portion is, is in chapters number one through eleven And this relates to the beginnings, the creation, the fall, the flood, and the dispersion of mankind. God confuses the languages at the Tower of Babel, so man is dispersed. Languages and and all came into being in in, uh, in chapter number 11. Sometimes I get upset about that because I wish I understood more languages than I do, which I really only understand English, and uh, so uh, I wish I knew more languages. What a blessing it is to know several of them. The second portion of our Bible is broken up from Genesis chapter number 12 to chapter number 50, to the end of the book. And this pertains to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. These four men are the men that God is going to use to establish the Jewish nation. And in this study, we're picking up the book at the start of the second portion where God chooses a man... From whom he will generate a family. And, and, and from that family there's going to be a, come a tribe. And from that tribe becomes a nation. And that nation is going, as God describes it, is the nation of Israel. It's a distinctive nation that God planned. Now many nations just happened. But God started this nation. God established this nation for a purpose and for a reason. And I want us to do some reading in our Bible tonight so we can see what Scripture has to say. And, and keep your finger here uh, in this portion. If I can find a bookmarker here. I gotta get Sarah and Ethan. You gonna make us some new bookmarkers with the new times on these things, or what's the story here? Don't, don't use that you're expecting stuff. That's getting worn out. Now take your Bibles, if you will, and look at Exodus chapter number 19. Exodus chapter number 19 i like to aggravate my son and daughter-in-law back there, but i got to be careful. She's carrying my grandson, so i got to be, be nice to her. I can be mean to Ethan, but i got to be nice to her. <laughs> We're looking forward to having a grandson in church, amen? He can join the rest of the kids around here screaming and yelling and carrying on. And, and um, in Exodus chapter number 19, the Bible says in verse number 9, I'm sorry verse number 5 19 verse 5 Now therefore if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests which and a holy nation These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And So here in Exodus, God at Mount Sinai talking to the nation of Israel that he's just brought out of bondage from the land of Egypt. And as they settle in front of Mount Sinai and they're about to get their laws and their their rules for which they are to establish a nation. God says they are a peculiar treasure. That word peculiar treasure. Means, it doesn't mean peculiar in the sense that they're odd or weird. It simply means that they belong to Him. They are set apart. The nation has been set apart for the purpose of God and His use. I would like you to take your Bible and look, if you will, at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 7. Deuteronomy, chapter number 7 tonight in your Bible. Find that place, if you will. And God speaking again to the nation. And making promises, he says in verse number 6 of Deuteronomy chapter number 7, Deuteronomy 7, verse number 6, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen to be a special people unto him above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any any people, for ye were fewest of all people. So again, God letting him know. Verse number 8. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep his oath, which he has sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen, and the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So God makes these promises to them, uh, how they're to be a peculiar people. Now I trust you kept your finger there in Genesis, and, and I'd like us to go back there if we could, as we read. I want to show you some things. What God is doing here. God makes three promises to Abraham in chapter number 12. He promises them, first of all, that He's going to give them a land. That's a piece of property. He's going to give them a seed. Seed refers to children. Abraham's an old man. He has no children, yet God says,'re, I'm going to give you land. And everybody, who doesn't want a piece of land? Amen. We all love to have our own little, little plot to call our own. And you're going to have children. The third thing he promises them here is that he promises them a blessing. So land, seed, and a blessing are the things that God promises them. And, what, and God will carry that out. He's, now... As we think about this scripture, as we just read this scripture, being a people, being a church that understands God's promises and understands God's promises to the nation of Israel, it's noteworthy here that God's promises in Genesis chapter number 12 include land. Now, I want you to understand that in, in, when we talk about covenants in the Bible, there are many covenants that God makes. There's two types of covenants, and we've said this before. There is an unconditional covenant, and there is a conditional covenant. God makes, two, God makes those promises. When God makes this promise with Abraham, it is what we call an unconditional covenant. It means, God, I'm going to do something, and you don't have to do anything. You can act like a psycho-reprobate, but I'm still going to do this. So there is no promises. There is no condition. When God makes the Mosaic covenant, the, the, the covenant with Moses, that's conditional. I'll bless your nation. I'll be good to your nation. I'll, uh, I'll let you uh, be, grow crops and I'll give you rain and I'll, and I'll keep the locust away if you obey my commandments. But if you disobey my commandments, I will bring an enemy in. I'll, I'll withhold the rain and, and I'll bring the locust in to eat your crops. It was was conditional, and we know that Israel would not keep God's promises, and so God broke his covenant like he said he would. Uh, We think of the Noahic covenant, the the covenant God made with Noah. What was the covenant God made with Noah? That he would not flood the earth anymore or destroy the earth with a flood. And God has kept that promise. No matter what man has done, God has not flooded the entire earth with water. And so we have the, the, the uh, Davidic Covenant. The Davidic Covenant is a promise God made with David. And in the Davidic Covenant, God promised David that his seed, his son, would rule on, the thro- on his throne forever. Meaning that someday David would have a son whose, whose kingdom would be forever. And that kingdom is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the son of David, will have an everlasting kingdom. And some Christ, day Christ will return. So in, in Genesis chapter number 12, this is an unconditional promise and, and includes land. God is promising them land. Look, look, if you will at Genesis chapter number 17. Genesis chapter number 17. He says in verse number 8, and I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, and all the land of Canaan for an, what type of possession? Everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Now God makes the promise here to Abraham again who is now 99 years old. And again God reaffirms his covenant with him. That I'm going to give you a land that will be your children's land and forever. It's everlasting. I'm not going to break my promise to you. I I give you this promise that this land will belong to your children. So again... The promises of land is critical as we study and follow Genesis chapter number 12 and and see what God is going to do. If we go back to chapter number 12, we see something else God says. In Genesis chapter number 12, in verse number 3, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. At first glance, the passage seems quite straightforward, except for this, that God's making a promise here that he's going to be, that Abraham will be a blessing to the entire world. Now how can Abraham be a blessing to the whole world? Well, because through Abraham comes the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Abra- Jesus Christ, born of Jewish skin, flows all the way down through our Bible, through the Old Testament, through King David and Solomon, and then uh, through David's line comes Jesus Christ. Do the promises of God, do they evaporate because Israel rejects the Messiah? The answer is no. It's unconditional. Even though they rejected their Messiah, it does not mean that God says this land is no longer yours. This land belongs to you. Now Israel, to its discredit, did reject their Messiah. Brother Lou and I were talking on Wednesday evening, and what, what happened when Jesus Christ was arrested? Pontius Pilate had Barabbas on one side, and he had the Lord Jesus Christ on the other. And he said, Who do you want? Jesus Christ, in whom I find no fault? Or would you want Barabbas, who is a thief? And the crowd cried out for who? Barabbas. And what did they say? He said, Well, he's, Jesus is innocent. And they said what? Let his blood be upon us and our children. By the way, if you want to do stupid, don't drag your children into it. All right? You do it all by yourself. Don't drag anybody else into it with you. And so they brought their, the blood of innocent blood upon themselves and upon their children. But even with that, it does not mean that God told them they could not have the land. And God knew they would do that, by the way. And yet God still makes this promise to them. Now, there are many people in Christian circles today who would answer that because they rejected Jesus Christ, all the promises of God to Israel and to Abraham are null and void, that the contracts are not good. But that is not true. And and these people go by different names, but mostly it's called replacement theology. Now replacement theology is the idea and the teaching that Israel is now rejected and whatever promise God made to Israel now has been replaced with the church and the church has now taken Israel's place. And let me help you understand something. Israel is Israel and the church is the church and and one cannot replace or be the other. One is a nation of a group of people from a distinct bloodline that goes to Abraham. The church is made up of anybody, no matter where they're from on planet Earth, who has been born again by the Spirit of God and is now part of a local assembly, the local church. They're two distinct institutions that God has established. Now, again, we've had people come into church who got involved in replacement theology. I One texts me every week some crazy stuff about replacement theology and, and how God's done with Israel, because he, but he can't quote scripture. He just quotes people all the time. And I don't care what people say. I want a Bible verse. I don't want memes. I don't want protest pictures. I, I want a Bible verse. I don't want you quoting some reprobate Jewish person. And by the way, for every reprobate Jewish person, I can, I can give you 12 reprobate Gentiles. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I mean, where are we going to go with this crazy? And, how, and what you want to do with it? So, again, replacement theology comes in many different versions, but replacement theology reasons that the covenants made to Abraham and the ensuing Old Testament Israel are null and void and, 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 and now belong to the church. And, and the church, in a spiritual sense, is going to fulfill those promises. Listen, the church has not been promised the land in Israel. I'd like to have a piece of land. Not, not now. I'm getting bombed over there. But maybe we don't, we'd like to have a little bit more piece of land around here, wouldn't we? I'd, I can go for a... You go, you go down south, and they got 40 acres down there. And like, well, we're going to build a fellowship hole out on the, the back 40 back there. I'm like, I wonder, I wonder how, how, do, how do you do that. <laughs> we don't got a back 40. we got a back 40 inches back here and we're doing everything we can with it back there and next door. We don't have land to deal with around here. The land is gone. And what land we do have left is swampy, toxic water down at the end of Bergen Avenue that we used to swim in when we were kids, which probably explains a lot what's wrong with me. Now, the problem with this view, as we've seen, we're going to see in different studies is as Is God done with Israel? Of course, no. No. As we've seen in the passage here in Genesis, that God made a promise with Abraham's descendants for how long? Forever. Are Abraham's descendants today believers in Almighty God? Well yes and no. They believe in Jehovah God, uh, the God of the Old Testament, but they don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. I was watching a little video today of a Jewish rabbi trying to explain why Jesus Christ is not the Messiah. And his, his reasoning, again, was, was messed up and faulty, and his failure to really understand uh, biblical theology. They know Jewish theology, but they don't know biblical Bible teaching. A Jewish person, by the way, never reads their entire Old Testament. They just read the Torah, which is just portions of the Bible. So if you ask a Jew to quote some of the Psalms or Isaiah or Ezekiel, they'll have no idea who you're talking to. I was witnessing to a Jewish lady many years ago. She was a customer, and uh, and, and, and she was mean to everybody in our company, but she liked me. And... Uh, I'm trying to think of her name right now, but she was, she could be really mean, but she liked me, and so I would always go to her house and I would talk to her, and, and I remember going there one night when she had no heat, and I fixed the boiler, and, and she said, would you like some coffee? I said, no, I have to get to the next job, and we began to talk a little bit, and I said, "Which do you go to a synagogue here in town? She goes, yes, I go to one on Karniev, and I said, that's interesting. I said, i like to go to a synagogue one time, and uh, I said, Mrs. So-and-so, her name will come to me at three o'clock in the morning, and I will text all of you, when I get it t- tonight, when I when it when it comes to my head, and uh, and so I said, I mean, have you ever read your Bible? She said, No, no, we we the, the, the rabbi reads it in, in, in temple, and we really don't read it. I said, Well, have you ever read Isaiah chapter number fifty-three? And, and she made the strangest comment. She said, No, what what channel is that on? I said, No, it's it's not a channel. It's a it's it's a book in your Bible. And I said, do you have a Bible here? And she had a Bible. I said, well, I want you to read Isaiah 53. Read that for me. And, uh, and I don't know if she ever did or not. She passed away not long after that. But again, uh, trying to present Christ to her because they don't know anything about their Old Testament. It's never taught. They, they're completely ignorant. I was quoting scripture to my dentist one time. He said, well, that's in your in your." In your book, and referring to the New Testament, I said, "No, doc. I said, I'm quoting Old Testament. That's your book. <laughs> that's your well, that's your opinion. I said, "No, I'm quoting, your, I'm quoting the Bible, doc." But again, they never read it. It's never taught. A Jewish person, for the most part, is completely ignorant of the vast majority of their Bible. They go through the book of Genesis. And then when they're done, they'll back up and do it again. Week after week, just doing that. So again, a Jewish person doesn't know anything about Christ because it's kept from them. I kept pressing, I always press a Jewish person that I'm friends with, why do you not believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah? Because he's not. You didn't answer my question. Why do you not believe in Jesus Christ? Because he's not. And we go through that that merry-go-round about six, seven times, and I keep asking them, why? And finally they say, because we're, we're told he's not. So you just do what you're told. But you haven't studied it yourself. I said, you, you don't understand your soul is on the line here? And you're taking somebody else's word for it without reading to see what the scriptures has to say? So God makes this promise that he's going to give the descendants the land. And and he tells them they are going to be sojourners in that land, but it's an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So there's no limitations or qualifications to God's unending promises related to the land that God's going to give people. You can't find one where God says, you know what, if you do A, the land is no longer yours. No, he says, I'll remove you, a vast majority, out of the land, but it's still their land. It still belongs to them. Now the case why we support Israel and why we try to side with Israel again. Israel's not a perfect people. It's a corrupt nation in many respects. It has corrupt leadership and, and, and a lot of politicking. Just like this nation has a lot of corruptness going on and a lot of uh, corrupt leaders in our nation. But the reason for supporting Israel turns on the idea that Israel has this this promise from God that it's their land. There's a group in Connecticut, this is funny by the way, there's a group in Connecticut that's protesting that Israel is living on stolen land. Pay attention now. Connecticut, which used to belong to Indians, so a group that's living in Connecticut is saying that Israel is living on stolen land. Listen dude, don't mention stolen land while you're living here, okay? Just—it's not a good thing to talk about because I, we did—we did buy a lot of land off the Indians. Manhattan, we gave them 24 bucks. I wish the Indians would come back. We'll give them—we'll give them 50. They can have it back. But uh, the, we bought Manhattan from them for 24 dollars, and we bought a lot of land from them. A lot of the land in this country was bought fair and square, and then there was a lot that was stolen. And taken from them because they, there was natural resources on it that we wanted, like gold and oil. And, and, and by the way, they were stealing it from each other long before we ever showed up. But they, the, the, the line goes that Israel is living on stolen land. No, it's not. They've been living there for the past 3,000 years. It's their land. They may have been small in number. They may have been large in numbers. But it's always up and down, up and down. But it's always been their land. Now, if Israel's rejection of Jesus voids the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis chapter number 12, then it stands to reason that Israel has no future in God's economy. If God is done with Israel, then why shouldn't others be also? I mean, the church has been here for 2,000 years. It has the church exactly had a stellar record for the last 2,000 years? be honest, no. There's been a lot of corruption. The average church in this country lasts 40 years. That's the average lifespan of a solid Bible-preaching church. And then it dwindles into liberalism. And, and, and next thing you know, the, a church survives because it's, it's surviving on food pantries, and the vast majority of its building is being used for daycare centers, which is a really big money maker. But the church has had its own issues. And so if God's going to reject Israel for its crimes of rejecting him, then what about the churches today in this world that have rejected God and have rainbow flags flying in front of them and all kinds of other nonsense as we've gotten away from biblical principles well, my friend, God is not done with his people. I'd like you to take your Bible and find, if you will, the book of Romans, chapter number 11. In Romans, chapter number 11, the, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church, the believers in the city of Rome And it's not the Catholic Church, by the way, just so you understand that. These were Bible believers, not idol worshipers. And these three chapters, chapters numbers 9 through 11, in Paul's long letter, these chapters 9 through 11 reveal God's big plan for Israel, a plan that validates God's Word. And God has chosen to use uh, people, such as Moses, who penned the book of Genesis, Specifically the words forever and everlasting. All of Romans 9 through 11 need to be read as whole chapters to capture the total impact of having been stated. So when you read chapters number 9, 10, 11, read it as a whole, not being broken up into chapters. Remember, when we wrote our Bible, it was written not in chapters. Chapters and verses did not come later on when they were added. And sometimes these chapters are good things and sometimes they end where they should not end. Now, we notice in verse number 1 of chapter number 11, I say then, because of what he said in chapter number 9 and 10, Hath God cast away his people? Now, who is God's people? Israel. What's those two words? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. God is not done with the nation of Israel. God is still using them. God is still going to do something with them. These passages that we read here, and and jump down to verse number 11 of chapter number 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. When God talks about the fall of the nation of Israel, there's really two times the nation of Israel fell. When they fell and God punished them and brought them into Babylonian captivity. But even when they were in captivity, were there still Jews in the land? According to Jeremiah, who did God keep in the land? But the absolute poorest and, 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 and sorry to say it this way, but not the brightest bulbs in the package God kept there. And, and Babylonians took all the, the good people away and the rest they killed. So God did that. Now, when God, when Israel rejects Jesus Christ, God will punish them. But what happens when God, or when Israel rejects Jesus Christ? What does that do for us? It opens the door for us to be saved as Gentiles. We now have this glorious opportunity, where we have been invited to to become part of of God's blessing. We can now have salvation. And by the way, Israel was always to be a light to the world. And the church is to be a light to the world for all people. So, these passages that we read here makes it clear that that they're being sidetracked or having badly stumbled is, is is to be distinguished from having been rejected. You ever run a race? I used to run races when I was a young man. Just because you stumble in the race does not mean you're out of the race. It may put you behind, but you're still in the race. And while I've never stumbled in a race, I've been in relay races where the guy behind me, who I was waiting for, stumbled. And I had to wait upon him to hand me the baton. But they were not disqualified. Israel is not disqualified. They merely have what God refers to as stumbled. And this is to provoke them to jealousy. This is expressed in in verses 11 and 12 that we see here. Verse number 12. Now if the full of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. This is a plain text here. By their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles, and to make the Jews jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? What do you mean fulfillment? When God turns his attention back to them again. And understand, this is simply how it is. God has taken Israel and he's put them over here and he said, now you guys just wait here. (laughs) You've messed up long enough and I'm not done with you. I'm going to get back to you, but you're here and I'm going to turn my attention to all these other people here. And God has turned his attention to us. But he still has his hand on these people, the Jewish people here. Now, either we're going to ignore the plain meaning of the text of what Paul is writing here as inspiration, or we're going to try and do cartwheels and circles with hermeneutics and try to figure out how we can avoid it and disannul it and, and, and do away with it. As do the replacement theology proponents. Paul continues his reasoning to the Gentiles at Rome, and he's using metaphor language here. And metaphor language makes a point. Paul is calling the, as you read these chapters, Paul is calling the Gentiles a wild olive branch that we have been grafted in. He used the idea Israel is always the olive tree, it's also referred to as a fig tree, two trees symbolized in the nation of Israel we are a wild olive branch that God has grafted in. So again, Israel is not grafted into the church, but the church and the Gentiles are grafted into the nation of Israel. What's it mean to be grafted in? It simply means where you take a tree and you slice the tree and you take another branch and you stick it into there and you tie it up so that, that when the tree heals, that branch is now part of that tree, which was not originally there. And so you have Israel, which is the... The, 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 the olive tree, and God has taken a wild olive branch and grafted us in. So we're now part of those blessings. Now again, some of the branches were broken off. Jesus talks about branches being broken off. We see this in verse number 17. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, were grafted in amongst them, and, which, which then partakes of the root And the fatness of the olive tree. Boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. In other words, I should not be screaming at the tree. Look at me, look how great I am. No, because I'm here because of the tree. I'm getting my goodness and and my nurture from the tree. I'm getting my blessings because of who Israel was. I get to have a Jewish Messiah who wants me, a carny boy, to be saved and and, and rule with him one day. So I can't say, hey Israel, you stink and and, and wonderful. No, I'm here because of Israel. I got a Bible, why? Because of Israel. I have a Messiah, why? Because of Israel. I've been grafted in, so I I am not boasting. Hey, I'm better than you, tree. I'm a wonderful branch. No, without being grafted in, I'd be a dead branch laying on the ground. But I've been grafted in. And all of us, all of you Gentiles out here tonight, have been grafted in. Thank God. And we're to be praying for that tree and the people of it, where we came from. So Paul continues his reasoning to Gentiles at Rome and Again, using this metaphoric language. And the language now being used obviously is intended to make a point. Paul is calling the Gentiles a wild olive branch that's being grafted into the roots. This is a great picture. And it speaks further about the hardening of the hearts of Israel as people have previously rejected Christ, but there still remains hope. Look, if you will, at verse number 23 of chapter number 11. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou were cut out of the olive tree, which, by nature, uh, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So God, again, talking to those Israelites, saying, listen, Understand that I've had to do some pruning on this, this tree here, speaking of Israel, and I've grafted in some things. I've taken Gentiles and grafted them in. And some of these branches I've pruned off, don't you understand? I can take them and I can put them back in that tree again. I'm not done with my people Israel. Israel, for all intent and purposes, has been sidetracked. Sidetracked. But God will bring Israel back and joining them up later on. God's not done. There's a lot of Bible here, which we're not going to get through tonight, because it seems very warm in here. Am I the only one sweating, or is everybody else warm in this place tonight? So during this period of biblical history, however, in the time which we live, Israel's heart, for the most part, is hardened towards their Messiah. Jewish people do not recognize Christ and don't want anything to do with Christ. The Jews fighting in Israel, the Jews here in Livingston, the Jews over here in Clifton, the Jews up there in West Orange, the Jews over there in Manhattan and Brooklyn and, 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 and every other place, they, they don't recognize Christ as their Messiah. They will have nothing to do with him. But it doesn't mean that God hates them because who is their father? It goes back to Abraham. Now there is a teaching amongst some Jewish people, usually amongst a very strict and... Uh, uh, bunched, you'll find that they believe Israel has no business being in Israel until the Messiah ushers them into that land. And you'll have that group of people. Um, mostly the, you find that in the Hasidic community. I was in New York one time and a, a man ran up to me and he goes, are you Jewish? I'm like, do I look Jewish? I mean, are you Jewish? I said, uh, no. And he turned around and walked away. I should have said, yes, I should have, I but I'm a Jew, but I've been grafted in, I'm, I'm, I'm adopted, I'm somehow, I said, well, what was that all about? And basically, he was a Jewish man, and he was witnessing the Jewish people telling that someday the Messiah is coming. Mm-hmm. And they have these vans which run around all Manhattan called the, the, the uh, what's the proper Hebrew word, The basically it means Messiah van, and they'll have speakers, you know, Messiah's is coming, and... Israel, be prepared, be ready. Messiah is coming. Of course, they don't know Messiah is Jesus. They, they, they think it's a man. And years ago, about 30 years ago, they had a Jewish rabbi in New York City that they thought was the Messiah, and he died. And they all camped outside his grave waiting for him to resurrect, and they're still waiting. 30 years later, he's still uh, in, in that tomb. hasn't come out. Obviously, the Messiah did not come from New York. Imagine that. Now... Israel, for the most part, is a gospel rejecter, but for the sake of their fathers, like Abraham, God will honor Israel in a future time to come. God will do that. Why? Because He made a promise to Abraham. I'm going to do something. I know your kids are, don't believe and your kids hate my, Jesus Christ, and, but I, I'm going to. I still keep my promise here. God's immutable in His attributes and one. Being here, that he's incapable of lying. God cannot lie. We can lie at the drop of a hat. How fast were you going? Uh, 55, sir. I clocked you at 75. 75. Wow. I, I wow. Really? Fit, well, well. I guess so, officer. Yeah, yeah. I guess you know. I could have swore it was 55, and the whole time we know we were, we thought we were doing 80, but we're we're trying to get out of a ticket. Some of you do that. But, but we'll lie at the drop of a hat. God cannot lie. And therefore, he's ever mindful of what? His irrevocable promises. I made a promise. I'm going to keep it. And when God talks about his, something being immutable, it means that he's incapable of change. God cannot change. He's always the same. I'm glad about that, by the way. I change, you change, but God does not change. And God is not a respecter of persons, by the way. I like that too. If God respected the persons, then where would I stand the chance in all of these things today? So at a time in the future, God will change Israel's heart. And we'll try to pick this up next Sunday evening and look at God and what He's going to do in the future with the nation of Israel. But I want us to see tonight that when we see this battle going on in Israel today, Israel, that land doesn't belong to them. That's stolen land. That's Palestinian land. That doesn't belong to the Jews. No, my friend. The Jews have been there for a minimum, minimum 3,000 years. Then if you go back to when they're marching through, and it's, it's almost 3,400 years of them being in the land. Nobody else can brag about that. They'll say, no, they got the land in 1948. There were Jews living there in 1947 and, 19, and 1837 and, and, and 1737 and, and, and 1537. There's always been Jews in that land living with everybody else. So, God, so this idea that it doesn't belong to them and Israel has no business to it, that's a lie. It's a lie. Now, again, I don't expect a bunch of people who don't believe this book to believe me. But I expect Christians to believe it. I expect Christians to understand this. And I expect God's people to understand all of these things and not fight about it. But yet we have Christians today arguing this and saying that Israel's is illegitimate and has no business. No, they have a right to that land. And God does give land. Land is a blessing. If you own land, praise God for it. If you want a piece of property here in town, thank God you have a little tiny piece of sliver. My parents owned a house, and it was on a 50 by 100 lot. That was a big piece of property in this town. 50 by 100. I said, man, we have a big piece of property here in town. it stood in the corner of the front part of the property, and the rest was all just land for us kids to play on. We thought it was the biggest. Every, every kid in the neighborhood, wanted, when they played, wanted to play in our yard because we had the biggest backyard. My dad wanted land. We got land. Israel has land. It's their land. It belongs to them. Let's stand together for prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for Christ who loved us and died for us. And Lord, we have been grafted in. We've been allowed to be partakers of the blessings. Now, Father, help us not to be prideful, not to be arrogant, condescending. But pray for those who...